0: You're listening to Power Athlete Radio, a podcast dedicated to empowering your performance every damn day. Join former NFL pro and Power Athlete founder John Wellborn as he dissects the greatest minds in strength, conditioning, and more. Joining him is everyone's favorite coach and hair model, Chris, aka Tex McQuilkin, Power Athlete's Director of Performance. So whether your goal is to be the hammer, destroy mediocrity, or simply move the dirt, you've come to the right place. Now with the warm-up done, let the gains begin. This episode is part of our Move the Dirt series, designed to empower you with the tools to move towards your goals. Move the Dirt is something we say a lot here at Power Athlete. The dirt is the dirt. It's that lazy, fearful, bitch-mode voice in your head that says, too tired, too busy, too old, too injured, too whatever... You can't reason with it, but you can move it. Some days you get a big-ass shovel in your hands and it's easy. You're strong, you're motivated, you're king of the world. But some days you get a spoon, and you still got to show up and move that shit anyway, rep by rep, spoon by spoon. So long as you're moving a little dirt every day, you're digging in the right direction. If you're sick of the dirt dominating you and you want to be master of your own self, walk the power athlete path with us. Visit PowerAthleteHQ.com forward slash training and start moving the dirt today.
1: Hey, welcome to another episode of Power Athlete Radio. We have a continuation of the Move the Dirt series. It's mid-January. Some of you might have failed on your January resolution. Or or not even started. Or not even started. Or some of you might be going strong and just need a little support. So we put together a short nutrition podcast to help you on your journey in terms of making a change for 2023. Here's the data. 80% of nutrition resolutions fail after just one month. What we help make happen is you moving the dirt past February 1st. So here's the deal. If you want to tackle the year with purpose, stay the course and hit your goals, you need power athlete programming. It's been battle tested at the highest level and gets results for every level of athlete. As a special offer this January, if you commit to the cause for a year, you get the full Power Athlete experience for less than a dollar a day with an extra 200 bucks of content for free, a one-on-one consultation to help you set your goals, and a nutrition protocol of your choice. Visit powerathletehq.com forward slash training and start moving the dirt today.
0: There's a lot that you are getting hit with from the fitness industry this month. The whole industry. I, I don't well, know, I mean,
1: actually longer than that. It started in Black Friday.
0: Yeah, I don't have any stats for you, but I imagine most companies in this this space make their money during this time, freaking vultures taking advantage of people that just don't know any better. You, you seem outraged, McQuilkin. I'm pissed. You're mad that people are getting taken advantage by
1: vultures that are providing subpar shitty information and preying upon willing, intelligent, smart people that want to make a fucking change.
0: I am mad because they, they want to make change. That's exactly right. They're when you trying- say they- it's a pretty broad claim to say they. People want to make change and they're getting taken advantage of. It's unfortunate. And you know, also something we've never done at Power Athlete is take
1: advantage. What we like to do is arm people with amazing information and allow them the tools to make a life change and more importantly, fucking be a badass.
0: Yes. And it's in the tagline, empower your performance. Literally, we give the power away, quality programming nutrition guidance and that's what we're tackling today in the the realm of nutrition we're going to go to battle with some bullshit that the fitness industry is throwing at you and what i want to get started with is creating a differentiation for losing weight versus losing fat Mm because that scale people are going to say hey let's you're going to lose 30 pounds with me and we're here to say okay Let's, let's take a step back and understand it's not just the weight on the scale. What does it really mean, John? So when we say let's lose weight, what are we really trying to do here?
1: Oh, man, there's a lot to unpack. There's a few different levers or, more, or you know, layers to this. Um, we can lose weight. I mean, put somebody on a starvation diet, and they will become a smaller human. I mean, it's pretty true that if you eat less over a long period of time and you're consistent, the scale weight will come down. And, uh, you know, especially if you put people into a, you know, advanced exercise program, it's forcing them to burn a lot of calories. But the issue comes down to losing weight is not always as beneficial. But then we also have to think about the difference between losing weight and losing fat. Mm -hmm. I think when most people are looking at losing weight, really what they're talking about is losing fat. Or if we take that a step further, reducing their body fat percentage. I mean, you know, I mean... When you ask people, like, how much fat do you want to lose? I think they kind of shrug their shoulders. Or I think most people would benefit, and I've been on this train for a long, long time, to putting on muscle. If you think about body fat as a percentage of total body mass, if we add muscle to it, and I've never seen anybody, both man or woman, that didn't look better with 5 or 10 pounds of muscle on them. Now, we've worked with a lot of people that have really wanted to lean out and drop body fat, and we've done it, unfortunately. Uh, we've also leaned some people out where all of a sudden I thought they looked worse because they hadn't done the work on the initial, you know, progress side to develop the muscle and have the, you know, thickness, the size, the musculature, the, just the done the work so that when you strip it all down, you end up having some good hiding underneath it.
0: Yeah. And we've witnessed folks that they misinterpreted the goal of losing weight for one competition or another and the set amount of time that they dedicated to get down to said weight, and they stopped lifting weights. So it was all about the scale at that Mm -hmm. point. And when the DEXA came in, didn't it look very pretty? And then we're observing, didn't look very pretty. So they were less able to to be useful, not as strong, not as fit, but then they hit their scale weight. So then they were satisfied? I'm uh... I'm not buying it.
1: No, I mean, there's a a bit of a weird misconception, and more importantly, I think it's a misnomer. Um, People look at themselves in the mirror. They step on the scale. Let's say um, it's 150 pounds. And then they've created this image in their mind that if only they can weigh 135 pounds, they'll meet their goals, and they'll be the person they want to be. The problem comes down to, you know, if the only measure of success is what's on the scale, it doesn't matter if it's body fat, uh, you know, muscle you know, cutting a limb off, um, anything, you know, <laughs> shaving their head, anything that they can do to reach that scale. The problem is when they hit that weight, a lot of times the finished product and what they have is not something that they're happy with. I really think that most people want to look like they actually train and work out. Um, I have never met anybody. It's like, you know what? I want to look like an emaciated marathon runner that doesn't look like they do anything. Well, and that, I want to be Christian skinny fail. It's a weird deal. I really think most people, especially like within the you know, social media, Instagram, uh, you know, whatever's going on in this world, uh, very visual. I think people want to look pretty fit. I think they want to look strong and they want to look like they actually do something. And unfortunately, you know, just losing a few pounds isn't necessarily going to translate. People want to be pretty fit. So it's going to have to involve doing something that looks like lifting weights, doing some form of you know, conditioning type work and potentially putting on more muscle, which I think ends up making everybody a lot happier. Just I'm telling you, like, uh, take my word for it. If you put on 5 or 10 pounds of muscle,
0: everybody's going to be a lot happier with the finished product. So let's give away the information. What are the basics for building muscle from both a nutrition and a training perspective? So if you take our 150-pound person and they were to put
1: on 5 or 10 pounds of muscle, and I'm going to guess based on their body fat, instantly their body fat's gonna get cut in half and they're gonna look a lot better. So if the goal is to put on muscle and not just necessarily lose body fat, which is also a cool deal because it happens almost as a byproduct, that the more muscle you carry, the greater thermogenesis, the you know, more uh, you know, your basal metabolic rate goes up. I mean, everything tends to look better when you can carry more muscle in relation to body fat and that's within a percentage. So, and the reason being is fat's extremely oxidative. So, if our goal is to put on muscle, we got a few levers to pull. One, we got to eat a high-protein diet. So, the way that bodybuilders have been getting in shape since long before Arnold Schwarzenegger and the guy, the way guys get in shape still today is eating a high-protein diet in caloric restriction. Now, how they get into caloric restriction is going to depend on a few factors. They can either eat less or you can exercise more or you can do kind of a balance of two, which is what we really recommend Um, I don't believe in massive deficits in calories consumption because people can only do that for a short short amount of time and then there's a rebound effect or more importantly, people go crazy and uh, (laughs) then all of a sudden they fucking binge and spurge and we go off the rails. So what we found is creating a modest deficit in calories consumption and then allowing the individual to train into a greater caloric restriction, doing things like lifting weights and training and doing some of zone one, zone two aerobic work just to allow the person to keep moving and to get into a little bit of a caloric deficit. I mean, the research is pretty conclusive when you look at something that is called NEAT, which is non-exercise activity thermogenesis, where they did research and they found that people that fidget and move all day end up burning anywhere from 10 to 30% more calories than people that don't. So if you sit down and you don't move, you're going to have less ability to do it. All you have to do is look at kids especially like young kids, like two and three year olds, they never stop moving and they burn through a ton of calories. As people age, they tend to move less. So fidgeting, moving, doing that stuff really pays dividends. So just getting up in the morning, first thing, going out for a walk. And a lot of times I know, especially on flat ground, walking fast, I sometimes struggle to get into that zone too, over 70, 75% heart rate. So for me personally, getting on, Um, you know, whether it be an echo bike or an assault bike, I can actually manage that a little bit better. But I also change it up. I like to take my dogs for a walk and I like to do that type of stuff. I found that if I can get up and do some form of aerobic exercise early on, and I'm not talking about fasted cardio as some magical myth because, you know, the research is pretty conclusive that it doesn't matter if it's fasted or unfasted, but just for me personally, getting up and either taking my dogs for a walk or getting on the bike for 20 or 30 minutes, hitting some zone two stuff, ends up being extremely beneficial for me trying to lean out and then, you know, basically understanding how many calories to consume and kind of balancing into it, then using the scale as a way to, you know, match with what I'm doing is working.
0: While we're on the top of calories, is it appropriate for a quick cut in my caloric consumption or like a scale down? So that way I don't just all or nothing. I don't lose and fall off the wagon and go nuts. Well... So
1: even the best estimates, when we look at basal metabolic rate and start calculating for energy expenditure for exercise, is still going to be a guess. We can get pretty damn close, but the only way that we're going to be able to really get on paper and figure out if it's working, because even the calories that we consume are estimates. So let's say you have a package of food and there's 100 calories per serving and there's 8 calories or 8 servings per calorie for 800 calories in this total package. There can be up as much as 10 to 20% variation plus or minus on those calories on that packaging of food. So the FDA allows for a range of, you know, margin of error. So you might think that you're, you know, there's 100 calories in this and you're trying to get 200 calories less. You know, the food might either be plus or minus, so you don't really know. And then you think about sizing, let's say, on a fruit or vegetables. If you're weighing and measuring everything, there's still variation on everything. So you're going to have to, one, exercise. You're going to have to consume the calories. And then you're going to have to weigh yourself and see if the scale is moving in the right direction or not. Uh, A greater indicator for me always will be progress pictures. So I know Sam uh, Flaherty is one of our nutrition coaches just got done competing in bodybuilding figure, um, for the Olympia and going through what she does, you know, they, uh, her coach prescribes her calories. This is what she's doing for her workouts. This is how they're kind of going into it. Um, that's just getting them on paper, the physical picture that she takes, every day and sends to her coach, allows her coach to fine tune whether or not the visual is meeting the expectation. So for me, I think a daily picture is really more beneficial for me. And then what I do is I match it up with the scale weight and then you have some other markers and be able to move in the right direction. So, I mean, the calories and the exercise are always going to be variable. You know, even if you're using some form of like a Garmin watch or a heart rate monitor or a Whoop band, there's always going to be variation. And unfortunately, nothing is perfect. So the only way that we know whether or not it's working is visual and is the scale moving in the right direction, if that your goal, if you're trying to gain weight or lose weight.
0: But getting started, <laughs> do I, okay, I get started on nutrition protocol. Yep. Is it gradually, should I spend a week just tracking my foods that I eat normally so that I have a baseline and then following that, like is it a dramatic change whether it's increasing the amount of food I have to consume? Because it's more, more often than well, not, that's it's the really case.
1: gonna it's gonna depend upon the template. But what happens is is when you go input all your information, the template's gonna kick you out an amount of calories to consume and a macronutrient ratio. What you're gonna do is you're gonna go to the what to eat guide that that comes with it. You're gonna look
0: at those foods and you're gonna match it up and you're gonna cut your just food in general. So I'm taking on a new diet. It says I need to eat one K more, one K less. Do I just make that dramatic shift to just dive right into the deep end? Or do I scale towards that estimated recommendation?
1: Um, I think it really depends upon who you are and where you are in it. For me personally, I would rather know the game plan and try to get from point A to point B as fast as possible. I don't think I need an acclimation phase, uh, but... That's for me as an individual, sometimes we've seen this within the bulking where, hey, if I need you to eat 5,000 calories and you've been eating two, do is it, is it realistic for us to add, you know, say, hey, you've been eating 2,100, you know, 2,000, 2,100 calories. You should really be eating 5,000. Most people will fall short of doubling their food consumption. So there is a case for stair-stepping the method in terms of if you have to overeat. So if you're in the bulking protocol and you've been eating a certain amount of calories and now all of a sudden it's doubled, for example, it might make sense over a couple of weeks or even a couple, I mean, a couple of days, a couple of weeks, whatever it looks like, stair-stepping into really getting that. I know that, you know, working with uh, Victor Hugo, he'd been under eating. All of a sudden we prescribed him almost double the calories and it took probably two weeks of adding, you know, 500, 750,000 every couple of days to get him up to that, you know, 41, 4,200 calories just because he felt when I threw them out that like it's too much, I'm going to feel too full. So we had to stair step in. I found with dieting, it's a little bit different. Um, Most people, if they're eating a certain amount of calories, we can kind of notch out a couple hundred, have them train a little bit more. And it's very, very manageable, but it's pretty rare that we would put somebody into a dieting deal where they've been eating 5,000 calories and ask them to eat you know, half of that. So we found that if they're eating a certain amount, and they're pretty constant in their body weight, just pulling out some calories And adding a little bit of exercise uh, increase, especially in that aerobic
0: state, will get them into the deficit we need them to be. One of the points you said, eating enough protein is going to put on muscle. So what are the guidelines that you recommend people consume total protein to then have the goal of putting on muscle?
1: Yeah, I mean, ideally, at least one gram of protein per pound of body weight. Uh, Most of the research is really set around 0.8 grams per pound of body weight, which I've always felt is a little bit low, especially for people that are following a training program like Grindstone, Jack Street, some of the, you know, Field Strong, some of the flagship training programs at Power Athlete. I would think one gram of protein per pound of body weight at minimum. We've seen people ratchet it up and even some of the nutrition protocols will push it out to a gram and a half, maybe a little bit more, but a little bit less. I've never really seen a performance gain over going from a gram and a half. I know for me when uh, I was playing the NFL at 300 pounds, I was eating about 450 to 475 grams of protein a day. And I didn't really notice much gain going over that in terms of body composition. But I also did notice a difference in body composition if I ever left it drop under a gram. Oh, that's about the right one. Now, that, now I consider that normal maintenance. In the realm, the fitness world, that might be considered a high-protein diet, an insanity. But for most people, somewhere around a gram of protein per pound of body weight. And especially if you're in caloric restriction... You're going to need more protein because protein is not only satiating, which means that you're not as hungry, but it's also muscle sparing, which means, like I've said, if you're eating a high protein diet and caloric restriction, it's next to impossible to lose muscle.
0: Awesome. Now getting into those that uh, always have an excuse, meaning, oh, I'm I'm a hard gainer mm. or oh. I I, eat, I overeat and I can't put on the weight, like. What do we say to those folks?
1: Well, the first place I ask them to go is really tracking their calories. Most people that say that have, one, they've never consistently eaten a high volume of food over a long period of time. It's usually more like a, a binge and a don't eat and this. But there comes down to a fact that if you consistently overeat your calories and you're lifting weights and training, and doing some form of hypertrophy-based training, what looks like heavy weights, you will put on muscle and you will increase body weight. Um, So when I started lifting weights, I was 6 foot, 165 pounds, 14 years old. My goal was to be 260 at the end of four years, and I ended up growing to be 6'4", 265 by the time I left for college. So I put on 100 pounds and grew four inches in that next four years, and it looked pretty awful in terms of how much I had to eat every meal I sat down was I would eat until I was full. And then, you know, a couple bites past that and I had to consistently overeat because, you know, I mean, when I first started, I remember we ate at nauseum and didn't seem to put on weight. And I knew that I wasn't going to get bigger, not eating. So we just had to continue to eat weight and do it, you know, cause it's wild people like, Oh, I'm a hard gainer. So then what do they do? They stop. And I'm like, well, you got to be consistent. But it even got to the point where I would weigh myself. And if I was down that day, I wouldn't do, I would just go lift weights and I wouldn't try to get my heart rate up. So it was really wild. Like, let's say I was 200, you know, like I, the goal was to weigh 200 and I came in and I was 195. We would go to the gym and we would take like three to five minute rest sets and like make sure that we didn't sweat during the workout. We'd lift weights, but we didn't want to try to burn any calories. We wouldn't run. We wouldn't do any aerobic work. Like we do no conditioning. It was like, I'm going to lift weights. With long rest periods, because I don't want to burn extra calories.
0: That's a dangerous game. I played that when we did twenty-two Jack Street, and holy smokes, got up to two eighteen, but quite awful shape. I was treating calories very precious, and did not do the necessary aerobic base work. And when I got back into playing basketball and sprinting, you're like, uh, what do you? What do you think was in that Danish? Uh, was it, it was,
1: cheese? What was it, um, uh, Adam Sadler, Fatty McGee? Don't take the, f- don't take the
0: stairs, Fatty. Uh, yeah, damn. Fatty McGee, that's, that was me. five seven two eighteen. Oh, It was dense. It was dense. It no. was a good... Uh, I was quite strong, though. But, um, yeah, if I could learn back, I'd do the coordinative abilities and not neglect that and do some, certainly, some aerobic base work. Yeah,
1: I, I think having an efficient aerobic base even though I paid zero respect and didn't put any value in it for a long, long time. It wasn't until I did 22 Jack Street and I was having to try to diet into uh, the keto protocol um, and using it to lean that I have always been uh, not excited to pull calories out of my diet. I would rather train more and work more than eat less. Like I want to like sit down and I, the biggest reason is I hate, going to bed hungry. And I hate waking up hungry. So um, I'm real big on like, I don't like to pull out food. So if I know that I'm trying to get into caloric restriction and diet, and the goal was to lean out, uh, I either had to do more work or eat less. And I just chose to work more. And then at the end, when I wasn't moving as fast as I wanted it to, I had to pull out calories, but I ended up hitting my goal, just um, had to pull out calories, which really sucked.
0: Yeah, this, this dates back to 2014-15, the yeah. dawn of Jack Street. Those of you who have been on it, the I tested out the bulking protocol. John was on the the keto. Yeah, Luke was on the bulking. Luke was on the bulking. However, I think I was more connected to the, the protein than Luke was. I think my gain, because I put on 12.8 pounds of muscle, Luke's... <laughs> Luke gained
1: zero muscle, zero. <laughs> which I still to this day cannot figure out how he put on zero pounds of muscle. But he went from, what was it, 185 to? No, no, no he, was, he no, was
0: not 185. He was a, above two already. Yeah. I ventured into the twos for the first time in my life. So he was 205, I think. And then he got to
1: 252. So he put on 40 plus pounds. Uh, maybe he was 210. But uh, I remember 252 on our way in because I was 268. So we were within like 14, 15 pounds, and obviously I'm like nine inches
0: taller than him. Yeah. So everyone that's loving Jack Street right now, it all was birthed from bet. Who could get to, what was it, 260 faster?
1: No, it was uh, you either had to gain <laughs> 10% of your body weight or lose 10% well, of your body what weight. That's
0: what the rules evolved to, but it was like an original bet. Well, uh, the,
1: I think the way that it started is Luke said that he could gain 10% of his body weight faster than I could lose 10% of a body weight. And then, you know, then it was like, and then it, we, we drew up the the rules and it was muscle and the whole deal and the body fat, but, um, it was really good. I, uh, it helped, uh, me really kind of formulate the, really the basis for the nutrition protocols. Um, we tested the keto, Callie did the leaning, uh, and so I did leaning, Keto, you guys did bulking and
0: Callie did the leaning program or the, the leaning. I did. Yeah, I did leaning keto. Yeah. And 22 weeks is a lifetime. And as a motivator, I will say that there there's a stair step to your gains and weight. And we did have Rob Wolf on the podcast way back when. And I asked him this question because I was cultivating mass. Luke had been this big before from his his football career. I had never been this big. So I had to cultivate this muscle mass and there was, even though the calories were consistent, there was just weeks where I didn't gain an ounce, and then it would just shoot up to the next layer. But uh, there was a time when I was, yeah, putting on this mass for the first time ever. Now I'm sure I can get there quicker because I've been there. But yeah, no, your body—some dark days.
1: Um, you know, it's a really fascinating. Your body's really, really fascinating uh, for a few reasons. Like, think about technology. Right, like, um, uh, like think about just even computers, right? A three or, f- three or four or five year old computer doesn't even run on the same operating systems. I mean, doesn't even download apps. I mean, com- you know, cameras, I mean, every piece of technology has about a three to five year, think about a cell phone. Human beings are the only form of technology on the planet that effectively we have the same operating system that we've had for thousands of years and yet is still able to stay technologically advanced and and adapt. So the body's pretty damn sharp. And when we think about like AI and technology and the way fast things are happening, I'm like, there is no form of technology on the planet that you could literally take today, transport back 40,000 years ago that would operate in the same way. So I mean, other than humanity, so the body's pretty sharp. It can make a lot of changes really quickly And one of the interesting things is metabolism. When you start adding more food in this, I mean, there's a a point where all of a sudden the metabolism goes through the roof and you end up losing weight. We've seen that all the time when people start in the bulk and all of a sudden they go to eat a ton of food and they're training. All of a sudden we've seen like body weight go down and muscle go up and some crazy things happen. And then there's a delayed effect where all of a sudden that constant overconsumption of calories ends up, you know, creating an interesting effect that you know re- relates in the bulk, but in short, little sprints. I mean, overfeeds. I mean, when they look, especially within like uh, you know dieting with you know bodybuilders and body compositions, I mean, they'll end up doing some refeeds or you know overconsumption of calories, not cheat meals, but like overconsumption of calories periodically just to keep the body functioning in a good place. I mean, you never want to put yourself in like constant starvation. That's why they'll you know calorie restrict and then you know do a refeed and. We'd use that in our own training programs just because it helps keep the body firing in good ways.
0: Keeps moving dirt. Yep. Let's give them three takeaways, John. So whether we're bulking, leaning, keto, anything, what are guidelines for moving the dirt and staying on track with your nutrition for this full year? Well, I'll give you a few.
1: Um, The biggest one, obviously, we said is all the the programs are going to give you a high-protein diet. It's just how he works, fits within the power athlete model, high-protein diet. Now, whether or not you're going to be eating in caloric restriction or caloric surplus, we're going to balance into that with fats and carbohydrates. Um, obviously, if you're in some form of leaning or trying to diet, it really helps to think about that neat, that non-exercise activity thermogenesis as a, as a model for just moving. Um, Coach Cav, who was on the podcast for episode 643, made a good point for his three rules to live by is you must move. You don't get anywhere in life without moving. I want you to take that to to heart, get outside, whether it walk, whatever you're looking to do, just getting up and doing it first thing in the morning can be extremely beneficial. The other factor is sleep. People that sleep, you know, seven, eight hours a day tend to not have the same issues. And especially in, in dieting and losing weight, people that sleep more tend to do better. And one of the issues becomes, especially if you stay up late at night, people tend to snack so if you can get to bed early, early to bed, early to rise, you tend to have better outcomes in terms of leaning. The other one is if you're going to start throwing in fasting, um, and we just had a great po- uh, podcast with Rob Wolf on fasting, there's nothing magic about it. Mm-hmm. I don't give a fuck what the internet says and all these other different internet gurus. Fasting is not magic. We said it 10 years. We haven't changed or pivoted on this. It's just a fancy way to get into caloric restriction. When calories are equated over different time eating windows it's super consistent now with that said fasting can be an extremely important tool in terms of caloric restriction if you can't control yourself and you tend to overeat then just cut down the feeding window give yourself four to six hours to consume those calories and you know people like to do it it uh, it ends up working very well and we've used it with people that are like I can't You know, realistically, I like to snack. I have problems. The fasting just gives me a reduced window. I think it's great for it. Um, It's not going to do anything magical. It's not going to do anything magic in terms of hormones. In this, it's just a fancy way to get into caloric restriction. And if you look at it like that as a tool, then you know what? Go through it. I I do love on uh, social media when you see dudes that are obviously juiced to the gills. Which you know, I don't care how you feel about it, but. What I don't like on the internet is the Liber king type stuff with deception where you'll see a dude who's fucking shredded. He's like, I just fast. And I'm like, eh, I've seen a lot of people fast that don't look like that. So, I mean, it's uh, it's like the age old Mark McGuire. I don't take steroids. I take androstone or androstenedione or where the fuck he had in his, in his in his locker. But understand that fasting is just a fancy way to get into caloric restriction. If you look at it that way and you use it as a tool, it's great. The other factor too, if you want to put on muscle and you want to increase, you know, thermogenesis and look better, you're going to have to lift weights. And I don't mean light weights for a ton of reps. At some point, you're going to have to start understanding the factors of hypertrophy, which look like tension, muscle tension, mechanical failure, and some of the key factors. Muscle damage, being sore, isn't a factor in terms of hypertrophy. You know, living sore and just going till you're fucking have extreme muscle soreness isn't building muscle. Metabolic stress can be a factor if we start looking at blood flow restriction training. But really the key driver for for hypertrophy and putting on muscle is going to be muscle tension and understanding something about mechanical failure.
0: Boom. Locked and loaded to go to battle with the bullshit because there's a lot out there around nutrition this time of year.
1: Yeah, the other factor um, is matching food consumption with your intended outcome. If you want to be a big, strong dude, and you want to look like a big strong dude, it's really hard to do that on 1500 calories with a low protein diet. I mean, you got to understand like the balancing of this. Like if your goal is to, you know, step on stage and win the bikini for the Miss Olympia, like you're going to have to be hungry and there's going to have to be a lot of work done. So I think you have to almost balance like how hard you worked, how dialed you are, what you're willing to do for the outcome, and. You know, if, uh, if it's just like, Hey, I want to be pretty fit. I want to look good. I want to, you know, do some jits and lift some weights. Like, like I think there's a very real program for that. If you're talking about training at the highest level for the highest level of competition, obviously the degree of margin has to reduce and we got to get a lot more serious. So um, the other factor that I think we have to bring up, and I know this is hard for most people to wrap their heads around, but whatever it is, You know, let's say uh, you're out of shape and you're listening to this or you've fallen off the wagon and, um, you know, you're off the rails and you got to recommit and you've already lost your, you know, or, or, you know, failed in your resolution. Just remember, you got you into this. You know, it's a hard one, especially when you're dealing with people that are, you know, maybe have not met their fitness goals, a little overweight, you know, whatever it looks like. I mean, I wasn't able to eat the food for you. Uh, I wasn't able to lift the weights for you. I wasn't able to help or to do this for you. You have it within you. And you got you into this so you can get yourself out. I can arm you with all of the information. I can help you. I can guide you. I can mentor you. I can do everything you need. But at the end of the day, I can't do it for you. You have to invest the time and the want. So you got you into this. You can get you out. And we're going to show you. We're going to provide the light. But at the end of the day, you got to walk and you got to do it. So uh, we will provide you every resource, whether it be information, templates, training programs, you know, podcasts like this, inspiration, whatever you need, we're here for you. But remember, the emphasis is on you, and you got you into this, so you're going to
0: get yourself out of it. And to get started, head to powerathletehq.com. We got training, we got nutrition, everything that you need, as John mentioned, to get started today. Let's do it. And thank you for joining another episode of Power Athlete Radio. Bye. This episode of Power Athlete Radio is powered by Train Heroic, the most immersive strength training app experience on the market. We've built our online training
1: business by partnering with Train Heroic and helping us deliver all of our world-class training programs like Jack Street, Field Strong, and Grindstone. To learn which Power Athlete training program best suits your goals, head to powerathletehq.com
0: training. And if you're a coach looking to build a business with the best tech and training, go to trainheroic.co forward slash Power Athlete HQ.